Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. Well, 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 we're back once again. It is freezing, freezing cold in St. George. I woke up and it was in the 30s this morning. Um... Which is why I have That's I've got my here. little I've got my jacket I've got my beanie. Lucky we're prepared. I guess I don't know. It's just a cold front, but um, here at my campus we're getting ready for fall break, so I think it is appropriate for it to get at least a little chilly, so that the students can you know cozy up with a blanket, some hot cocoa or whatever they do be drinking, and just Sweet. enjoy their time together. Um, we are going on break after this episode. We have a nice little two-week gap in between this uh, two-part courting saga, which is what we'll be talking about today. Um, and I am thrilled to be joined once again by uh, Dr. Lisa Van Ralta, my sister from another mister. Well, thank you for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, I could think of very few people who I'd rather have this conversation with uh, because of our shared history together as uh, you know, work partners and of course, as roommates for quite some time, giving each other dating advice uh, for better or worse <laughs> back in grad school. Um, and so that's gonna be kind of what we're talking about today, dating advice. We're gonna be talking about courting, uh, which are the early stages in the dating process. So are you ready to go? We don't need an introduction. You've already been introduced. Yeah, let's do it. This is my third time here, so I feel like we're now in the flow of it. So let's get started. Yeah, we had you in season one, and then of course you were part of our <laughs> summer bonanza bash. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good one. So now in this third season, we've moved on to like really specific topics. We finished going over some of the broad overviews, and we're trying to get a little bit more micro with stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about dating in two parts, uh, and then Dr. Laura Guerrero will be finishing our conversation off. Then we're going to talk about things like breakups and then some other stuff like that too. But for now, let's talk early stages of dating. Okay. My first question for you is rooted in one of those, and there's going to be a lot of these questions. It's rooted in one of those colloquialisms where it's like, oh, the average human being can tell whether or not they want to spend the rest of their life with another person within six seconds of meeting them or like, you know, like something that like, you know, your auntie shared on Facebook or something like that. Right. My question is, to what extent does this actually hold water? Like when you first meet someone, how quickly do people typically get into a position where they know whether or not they're interested in pursuing someone romantically or, you know, sexually or, or even platonically? Yeah. And there is truth to our colloquialisms of, you know, as you, you, you know, straight away whether you want to pursue a second date with someone. And, and that does typically happen within a few seconds or a few minutes of meeting someone. Our first impressions are so important and they tend to be really lasting. So there's this concept in our field called the primacy effect. And it essentially says that the first interaction you have with someone is the one that you're going to remember the most. And that will sort of influence your perceptions of that person moving forward. So it's really important to have a super good first impression with that person, you know, put your best foot forward. And then 
There's another concept called the recency effect, which is essentially says that your most recent interaction with someone is what is more important in your perceptions of them moving forward. So, you know, the start of the date at the end of the date, those two interactions are really important to uh, look good, to sound good, to, to be a nice person, um, because that's probably going to influence whether you want to pursue them further for a second date. But, you know, I think that everybody has um, gut feelings and, and they understand that as soon as you meet someone, you kind of get a sense like, oh, yeah, like you get good feelings and you want to uh, see them again for a second date. And I would say that that's more for whether you want to pursue them romantically. Um, but in terms of whether you want to sleep with them, I imagine that takes a little bit more time. Like you might at face value be like, oh, that person's so attractive. I'd like to be involved with them. But I don't know, sometimes we take a little bit longer to feel that type of attraction with people um, in terms of like being vulnerable and wanting to go to bed with that person. Um, there is one more concept that came to mind when I was thinking about this question and that is the mere exposure effect, which essentially says like we will find someone more attractive the more we get to know them. So if you had a bad first impression, you can redeem yourself by having really good future interactions because every time you, uh, every time you're exposed to that person several times, you will hopefully be more attracted to them. Um, but I think, it's really important to keep in mind that first impressions are important and uh, you know, it's one that you want to put, not that you have to freak out about it when you're meeting someone, but you want to be yourself and, and you want to be happy and, and smiley. Smiling is a huge, huge factor. People who don't smile are rated as less attractive. So yeah, first impressions are really important. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, the whole primacy recency effect combo, effect combo is a big is one. A big um, um, ooh, I'm getting a little getting feedback. Are you, are you hearing you, that? Did you, is that okay? Let me try it again. Ooh, yeah, that's good. Okay. Anyway, uh, yeah, so that, that whole, uh, interaction is definitely super common. Um, and to your point, like, yeah, you can definitely redeem yourself. And like the more someone sees you and gets to know you, the more attractive you can become. However, <laughs> you have to lock that in, right? If you never get the opportunity to see them again, because your first impression was so bad, you're kind of screwed <laughs> when it comes to that one. Um, but I tend to agree that like the, the notion of attraction is really, really fast. Like you said, maybe a couple of minutes or even seconds. And it's why I tell my, when in nonverbal calm, <clears throat> when we talk about things like attraction, um, we talk about the importance of like putting effort into your appearance because it's the first thing that people see. And uh, as we talked about way back in season one with Dr. Generous, when you're putting together something like a dating profile, you want to make sure that you seem attractive, but not like uh, you don't want to be out there deceiving people about how attractive you are because that can backfire. Right. And it's also, I tell my students too, which is so funny. I'm like, I'm going to help you get a date. But when you're putting <laughs> a profile together on your dating apps, you should always put smiling photos on, right? Smiling photos are. Got to have a headshot. Yeah. yeah. And then, and don't put your, absolute best photo on there. Don't put your photo that you went to a friend's wedding and you're all dolled up or you're in your suit, you know, put your, put your above average photos, 
but not so good that when they meet you, they're a little bit disappointed. You Mm -hmm. want to go the other way around, right? And especially if you can get someone's interest when you are sort of posting your average, just a little bit above average photo, um, you know that when you meet the person face-to-face, you're going to blow them away essentially because you're going to be looking your best. You're going to be primed and everything. Um, Yeah, that's important. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be voguing. Um, Okay. (laughs) Opposite end of the spectrum. Now Uh, Mm -hmm. talk to me about uh, maybe some of the red flags that could occur or that maybe in your experience you've noticed on a first date, like what are some behaviors that people tend to do? Perhaps they're gender specific, perhaps universal uh, that, that get that red flag mark. Yeah, it's a good question. And it's, complicated because everybody has their own mm-hmm. things that they're looking for in, in a person and in a partner. So, you know, you might get into a date with someone and they're really quiet and they're really reserved and you think, Oh, like this isn't, this isn't jiving with me. Like this isn't what I'm looking for, but maybe they're just really shy. Like maybe they're so into you and they can't seem to be able to like be themselves just yet. They need a little bit more time, a little bit more cushion. Um, if there are indications of things that people are doing that don't align with your values, like let's say you value manners and politeness a whole lot and your counterpart is not saying thank you to the, to the server and is not, um, being polite towards you. Maybe that's an indication you're like, Oh, you know, I already can sense that we're not going to get on. And I, and I think that applies to a ton of different values, whether it's political or religious or the way you handle money. Those are like the big topics kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, not that you talk about those on the first date, but you might get a sense of that with someone in your initial conversations. Um, but you know, like the caveat is that people are really nervous on first dates sometimes. So you might need to, if you're on the fence, maybe a second date where they feel a little bit more relaxed, maybe then you'll get a better sense of who they are as a person. Um, but I think in terms of, I don't know if there's like clear red flags, you know, if they're lying to you, if you feel like they're lying to you, if you feel like they're not talking about things that sort of match what they had on their dating profile and they can't seem to talk about that easily Mm -hmm. that should be a red flag you know if they're presenting what they presume is the most important thing to attract a partner on their dating website and then they can't talk about it that's kind of i don't know i would feel Mm -hmm. strange about that um and the other thing i think is really important i mentioned gut feelings before these are uh these are called visceral reactions so when we meet someone and you sort of see a behavior that you're not totally on board with, you can actually feel it in your gut. You might have an uneasy stomach. You might like, like hit your breath. You might like have a surprise face because they're doing something you don't agree with. And Mm. I think it's important to keep that in mind and, and to pay attention to those visceral reactions because they really are reflecting your emotions And, uh, the one last thing I'd say about that is our moods can impact how we perceive people and will impact out those gut feelings, those visceral reactions. So if you're in a really great mood, whatever they're, however they're behaving, you might interpret it through sort of rose glasses. Mm -hmm. 
you've had a really crappy day and you go and meet with that person, you might see everything that they do with sort of a bad lens. So you have to, yeah. I don't know, it takes a little bit of insight and a little bit of thinking to, to realize and, and determine what your truth is. But I think going with your gut is such an important, um, an important thing to do that a lot of us sort of like push aside. We're like, no, no, no. But you know, they tick all these boxes but mm-hmm. if you're not feeling it, it's all that first impression. If you're not feeling it, you should listen listen to that little voice. Yeah, I think, you know, the boxes play their own little role, but I think that it would be unwise to not couple that with the intuition that you're experiencing. I think that they both play a role in terms of like feeling someone out because that's what a lot of first dates are about. It's about right. feeling um do I mesh with this person? Like I think about your example of like, oh, I'm having a bad day and now I'm on this date. Does this person exacerbate my bad mood or do they um, assuage those negative feelings that I was having and did did it turn my day into a good day? Now that's a tall task for a stranger, but that said, you know, you can can really get a good feeling for it based on that. Um, And I think, you know, you make an especially good point when talking about, uh, you know, all the ways in which um, this is dependent on context. Um, You know, uh, one person's red flag is another person's green flag. So uh, that sort of leads me into my next question, which is how, if at all, have we seen the dating scene change? I mean, obviously it's changed a lot since like the 50s, but like maybe since the turn of the century, what have we seen? Yeah, the courtship behaviors, the dating behaviors have changed dramatically. Like if we're thinking in the previous century, even in 1910s to 1940s, people would go on dates supervised. Like there would be parental supervision on on first date type of things. And then you get into the 1960s where the contraceptive pill was approved. So that Mm -hmm. changed the way people were dating and and the way that they were talking about sex the 1970s was our sort of sexual revolution mm-hmm. there's a lot of um freedom in terms of the way we talk about sex and then and maybe not engage in sex maybe that was the same just it was hidden before and and then in the 1970s it sort of like ballooned mm-hmm. um and you know that trend of sexual permissiveness has um, continued into our centuries into the 2000 onwards. So at least at the college level, we see a lot more students who talk about casual sex in a positive light with their friends. So that is now, um, far more, uh, open and overt people talk about it and, and they're happy to talk about it. They're the way that they engage in these casual sex relationships. There, there are positive views on it more than, more than not, um, and even engaging in the casual sex looks different. So sometimes people don't need to even go on first dates. They might be having one night stands. They might be having serial booty call type of things. Mm. Um, and about like, I think the the last stat that I saw about 50% of college students are engaging in this casual sex type of relationships, but it seems as though they are treated as a, um, like test run for a romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. So, so still, even now, the trend is to find a committed romantic relationship. Like that's the aim for a lot of people. Um, but 
now we're kind of using more casual sex relationships to potentially like test run into that committed relationship, which is which is sort of different than it was in the last century. Cattywampus is the word that comes to mind. I, it used to be right. You you date someone and then that dating process tells you if perhaps somewhere down the line you might want to uh, engage in what I prefer to call coitus at a later mm -hmm. time. <laughs> but uh, the switch is on where um, sex is being used as more of a gatekeeping mechanism where it's like, okay, if we don't have good sex, I am not willing to pursue this person in terms of like long-term commitment. Now, I have my personal feelings on that. Personally, I think that's a good thing. <laughs> I, I think it would suck to develop strong feelings for a person, get into a committed relationship with them, and then find out that there's no physical connection there. That would be tough. Yeah. Um, but I, I do believe that each, uh, you know, ideology, each worldview uh, possesses their own sort of water testing mechanisms and that they should be respected. So, uh, you know, I've got yeah. mine, they've got theirs. <laughs> I do. Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that because sexual satisfaction, when we measure it in studies, ends up explaining a lot of variance in our um, relationship satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So if like I had this like circle of sexual satisfaction, the circle of, um, I'll make them bigger. And if I had a, a circle of relationship satisfaction, sexual satisfaction predicts kind of like a fair amount of variance. So if you're really low in sexual satisfaction, that's going to harm your overall evaluation mm -hmm. of how happy you are in the relationship. And you know, communicating with your partner about your sexual preferences and, and, and your attitudes towards it and everything is so hugely important, especially in the initial stages. If you don't have those mm -hmm. conversations initially five years down the track and you're, un you're dissatisfied, you're going to have a much harder segue into those conversations than if you had just done it earlier on. It's sort of like, when you have something frustrating with your partner, like a habit, yeah. don't let it fester for so long because by the time you talk about it, your partner's going to think, Oh, why didn't you just tell me earlier? I could have fixed it. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, so it's, I feel like it's such a cliche, but being open and honest with your partner about, um, so many things is, is really important, especially early on in the relationship. I think that's very true. Yeah. And I think that you make a really good point in terms of uh, talk about it. If you're not going to, you know, actually do these physical activities, at least talk about them and make sure that you're on similar pages so that you can estimate how things might be um, because you don't want to wind up in one of those dissatisfying relationships. And yeah, there's a lot, that Venn diagram between sexual satisfaction and relationship satisfaction has a lot of overlap. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, ready to play a game? Yeah. Okay, I am going to ask you to give me your two best pickup lines. And I want you to tell me why you think they would be effective. I have two also. I did like a joke one and I did a serious one. So let's hear your first pickup line. Well, both of mine are joke ones, but I'm going to, <laughs> let me give you the first one. I okay. think this one's really funny, though I don't think it can be used right now in the pandemic era. But okay. Apparent. So first thing you do is lick your thumb and then you press it against someone's shoulder and you say, we should get out of this wet clothes. <laughs> oh my God. Well, you could use it in the pandemic. You could lick your thumb and you could put it on them and you could say, you've been infected. Oh, strip, strip down. I don't, I don't know if you want to do that in public, but. 
maybe not. So maybe what, are the, not. what are the pot in a vacuum? What are the positive elements of that line? So essentially pickup lines, I mean, they can be so funny or they can just fall flat on the floor mm-hmm. and they're only going to work if you can make the person laugh because pickup lines are essentially just really silly ways to begin a conversation with someone. Mm-hmm. And if you take them too seriously, then it's not going to work because they're going to feel, it feels disingenuine. Right. But if you can make them goofy, if you can make the other person laugh, you have to catch them in a good mood. You try and do that with someone who's just having a really rotten day. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It could go one way or yeah. the other, but if you can make them laugh, so that one, you know, ha ha ha. Uh, I think that could work. It also helps per our earlier conversation if you're looking your best, right? Nobody wants to be hit on by someone who looks like they roll out of bed and haven't showered in four days, right? You want to be at that top of your uh, adornment game and your appearance game. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Here, here's mine. Ready? So you walk up to somebody and you tap them on the shoulder, you get their attention, you go, and they say, what? And you go, well, I'm here. The genie was wondering what your other two wishes are. I can't believe you just did that one. That was my second one. Was it? Oh, look yeah. at that. Look at that. But I think I'm gonna I'm gonna do it better because I would Ooh. say tap them on the shoulder and go, Well, I'm here. What are your other two wishes? Oh, but okay, I saw that one. Are you now the genie? Hmm. If somebody walked up to me and said that, I'd be like no. I'd be like, Are you the genie? Because I don't want to date a genie. No, that's because you overthink things. I think <laughs> a genie made me appear for this person. Mm. So what are your other two wishes? And if they're in the good mood, they might be like, oh, my next wish would be for you to buy me dinner. Or buy, you know, like, that's yeah. a good yeah. next. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the argument that mine's better. Let me tell you why. Because okay. I got my phone right here. So go. I, I go, I'm here. Um, the genie wanted me to know what your other two wishes are. Here, can you text him for me? And now you've got that person's number if they're agreeable. I just thought of that bit right now. Not bad, right? That's very good. But you don't want to like push people too much. You want to give them an an Audi. That's true. So the second one that I've got is maybe a little bit more geared towards social media. It's more of a conversation starter. So I don't know if I'd walk up to someone in a bar and say this, but I think if I were still on Tinder, um, this might be something that I would say to someone who I matched with. And the question, it's a question. It's if you could eat only one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Okay. You tell me, Lisa, what would your meal be? Oh, if I had to eat one meal for the, oh my gosh. Tough question, right? I love chocolate. It probably, well, no, if I had to eat a meal, probably bread or bread and butter, like pasta, something, something carb, carb, Mm. give me me those carbs. Pasta with butter. Okay. The reason that I, uh, I like that one is because it allows you to talk about food, which like, who doesn't love talking about food? It's like a very easy conversation starter. You're not putting Mm -hmm. any pressure on somebody. Um, and personally, personally, my strategy back when I was dating was to open with a compliment. Um, but if you, if you're the type of person who prefers to open with a question, uh, it's a relatively non-threatening question. Um, right. and it's, it allows you to engage in a specific talk that can then bleed into other things like, oh, you love pasta. Um, I love pasta too. What's your favorite type of pasta? Do you, yeah. work, do you work out to burn those carbs off? I'd be working out regularly, that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm working out all the time, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, uh, you I know, think, working out all yeah, the time. Yeah. I think 
starting a conversation with a question. I mean, it's clear that you're interested in the person. They would know that immediately. Um, so you could start seriously, but I think anytime you try and introduce yourself to someone or, or pick them up, you have to have that sort of positive, positive feelings. Those mm-hmm. like good, good attitudes type of thing, you know, be happy. That's what we're attracted to is just naturally as a species. Um, can I tell you the last pickup line that I, that I looked up and I thought was really funny and I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to steal it again. <laughs> what is it? Um, so you would say, you go up to someone and say, I'd like to take you to the movies but they don't let you bring in your own snacks. Ah, terrible. <laughs> this is terrible. I love it. That person's a snack. Get yes, it? I love it. I do like that one. That's a good That's a good ending note. I, I did have a bonus question, but we are out of time. It is yeah. okay. Um, next time we will continue this conversation. We've got a week off, and then we're going to continue this conversation with another former guest and our former professor, Dr. Laura Guerrero. We'll be talking about some of the nonverbal elements of courting and like what happens after that first date. So how long do you wait to, to reach out to this person, which was my bonus question. But thank you so much, Lisa, for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. It was fun. All right. Have a happy fall break, everyone. I'll see y'all on the other side. You've been listening to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. If you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us, please send us an email to redrockrelationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication. This has been a production from a podcast studio.